the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And here to say good afternoon, welcome. It's the 26th day of September. If for some reason you weren't keeping track of all that, a Thursday. Craig Roberts in your ear, keeping you company here as you head home or wherever you might be headed. And awfully delighted you're along for the ride or you've invited us along for the ride, whichever way that uh, that happens to work. Good show lined up for you today. We promise, we promise. Coming up later on in tonight's program, best-selling author, Certified professional corporate trainer, Michelle Steffes, joins us. He'll talk about, remember the book, bestseller, I think it's marking about 30 years um, since the publication of Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, this kind of revisits some of those key points, um, certainly from a spiritual perspective, and what that means, how the science of habits can really transform your life. So something a little bit different on the program today, but we, we trust that'll be a benefit to you. Also, Pastor Tim Brown from Calvary Chapel, Fremont, will drop by for a visit. He's got a new program here on KFAX, so we'll talk a bit about that and the radio ministry. And uh, by the end of the two hours, good time will be had by all. At least that's our, uh, that's our goal here today. Not a good time, however, in Seattle, Washington, or Spokane, more specifically, these days. It has nothing to do with the weather, but more of the, um, the political climate, a climate that seems to be bent on challenging the fundamental First Amendment rights of a pastor up there who simply went to go check out an event taking place at the local public library. Now, the public and public library means that our tax dollars go to fund these wonderful institutions, and they do provide a critical service. And yet, every once in a while, some librarian gets a funny idea or two, as they did in Spokane, where they had, last June... A drag queen story hour. (laughs) I think I'm making this up. Sounds like an item out of the onion, but it's not. We've covered the story before. Constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, now joins us for a bit of an update. I I have to be honest with you, Counselor, and thanks for being with us tonight, Brad. I I really anticipated as you were going into that hearing at the tail end here of, of August just a couple of weeks ago that the next time we chatted, you'd say, good news, the city is back down, they've seen the light, they realize that denying this man his freedom to actually show up to the event as an observer, as a local citizen and a resident and a taxpayer, that they saw the the wantonness of their ways. But apparently, not only is the city not backed down, but from what I'm reading, it seems to suggest that there have been some highly questionable remarks made by the city, enough to cause the judge in this motion to dismiss 
trial to say, no, we think we need to proceed with this case going to trial. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you said it right. Uh, uh, the you know I expected, frankly, that the law enforcement uh, legal counsel would look at this and advise them and say, okay, you guys really messed up. Uh, you need to uh, quickly drop the charges, uh, apologize, and uh, correct the, the law enforcement that made the mistake and or you know made these decisions because uh, there was more than one officer. This was a whole band of police officers involved in this, and yet that's not what happened. Uh, you know, Craig, they are doubling down. Uh, you know, they're um, you know trying to um, you know uh, rep- you know uh, allege that he was somehow disrupting things, and but yet they also acknowledge that he wasn't giving a speech, he wasn't um, uh, being combative, he didn't have a sign. Uh, they're 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 just trying to cover their backside, if you will, in a, a way that is. Um, a real disappointment for for purposes of public trust. And let's be abundantly clear about this. Pastor Yangton did not go because he intended to create a scene. He didn't go because he intended to preach or protest or get himself on the 6 o'clock news. He heard about this event, I think, as any man of the cloth, as a responsible leader of the community, of the faith community in Spokane, and a taxpayer, I might add, the wisdom to go down and say, you know, this sounds a little funny here. This seems a little on the odd side. Let me go check things out, is something that, quite frankly, any th- thinking person that had the time and the volition ought to do. This is what he did, and yet somehow they identified him, and it almost seems as if the fact that they knew him as a local pastor kind of kind of marked him for um how should we say specialized treatment yeah uh it's clear viewpoint based discrimination uh and that's uh, unconstitutional the the government can't say well you're invited to this public event if uh if you believe this way uh, but if you believe that way then then you're not invited to this public event in a public place uh you know paid for by uh, public resources, the government cannot do that, and, and and yet that's exactly what they did. You know, and and they're um, you know the police report simply even the facts that as they allege them do not support the charge of obstructing of uh, obstructing uh, police that has been filed against the pastor. So it's it's not it's not supported. Uh, it's unconstitutional. And it's a clear violation of uh, the rights of this pastor. And make no mistake, um, if we don't you know stand up for this pastor, he could stand up to a year behind bars. Uh, our motion to dismiss the case was denied by the judge. It's headed for criminal trial, and um, he could be spent as a year behind bars if, if uh, convicted. Now, you know, it, clearly here, um, if you look at all the, the, the merit and the facts of the case, uh, uh, the city has backed itself up to the briar bush here. I, in fact, it's a whole patch of, of briar bush. Um, and, and so that probably the reason why they're not backing down, because there's just a matter of, of trying to fa- save face here. Uh, Spokane is certainly no bastion of conservatism, to be sure. Um, so it sounds as if that there's enough here that they're willing to take this thing to trial and not only 
waste city resources, but uh, potentially send an innocent man to jail here, depending upon how all this comes out, simply because he, as I said before, is a faith and community leader and taxpayer, wanted to go down and see what his taxpayers' were, dollars were going to support. I mean, it just the whole thing is ludicrous. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, he, didn't, he wasn't going to obstruct anything. He wasn't obstructing anything. just wanted to be there to observe and also and to, and to pray silently. Uh, you know, to uh, for these kids, um, you know, and the fact that he was there, had that heart, um, that was enough to put him in the squad car, police co- squad car for over three hours, <laughs> and then take him down to the jail, having booked, and now he's being prosecuted. And, um, you know, this is, is very disturbing. You know, we had a similar matter that's come up, uh, dealing with two, uh, two grandmas who were uh, booted out of a similar drag queen uh, story hour presentation, except this was for teenagers, and they uh, acted out certain um, sexual acts that I can't discuss, but it was very, very inappropriate, yet they were not allowed to stay there simply because the concerned look on their face and the frowns on their face, that was enough for them to say, oh, we can see you're probably not supportive of this, so you can't be here like the rest of the public, you have to be out. And that was, and that, you know, that that's what happened. So we're we're involved in that case, there's other cases, we expect... Craig, that this is going to be popping up across the United States, across the country in libraries. It's, this is not isolated. This is a part of a national campaign to desensitize young children to, to becoming drag queens and, and the like. We don't want to vilify them. They need love. They need compassion. They need understanding. That said, we've got to protect the children, and we cannot criminally prosecute pastors who simply want to be there to pray for these kids. Well, and clearly they're pushing the envelope. They want to see what the limits are. They're they're attempting to just completely ignore a sense of community standards and common decency um, just to see what they can what they can get away with. And sadly, this poor pastor has found himself uh, in their crosshairs. What's the next step? So this goes on to full trial, really seriously? Yeah, yeah. We we were hoping that you know our motion to dismiss would be granted. Uh, it was not, but that said, uh, the attorney, Pacific Justice Institute attorney, who heads up our office there in the state of Washington, uh, Jorge Ramos, um, he is working hard, very diligently, to prepare for the criminal defense of this pastor in criminal court, uh, and uh, he's, he thinks we have a very, very strong defense. He's uh, somewhat optimistic, but we need people to be praying, uh, because as we've learned, uh, just because it's in the court of law, uh, we don't. We do not always have justice, and so we do want people to be praying and for people to be keeping up with this by going to our website, where they can get our our Legal Edge um, Insider update. See, and and when I told you you needed an office in the Pacific Northwest area, you didn't believe me at first. Good thing I recommended you do this. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hey, Thank before you. I let you go, Counselor, uh, I want to pivot to something. A lot of folks are aware of the fact that uh, next week, um, midweek on October third, in fact, is Bring Your Bible to School Day. Oh, that ought to be for a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> you might get a lot of cases out of that one. There is a wonderful resource that Pacific Justice Institute has put together and is being made available uh, free to the public. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a real solid, straightforward, uh, two-page resource. It uh, spells out real clearly the legal rights of a student to be able to not only bring their Bible, also read their Bible, to be able to discuss their Bible, to share their Bible. Uh, during non-school, non-instructional uh, time, so like recess, lunch, and uh, we think this is is really important because there's such an intimidating 
posture taking place to students of faith, and we want them to know what their rights are, that they don't have to be ashamed of their faith and uh, the good news of the faith. So uh, we're making this uh, available. And we don't just say this is their rights, Craig. We also say, and by the way, we'll represent you uh, without charge, uh, all along the way. And I'm glad you mentioned that because some folks just, you know, kind of half listening and think, oh, they're trying to drum up business. No, no. This is all strictly pro bono, and this is an opportunity to take advantage of exercising your constitutional rights, knowing what those rights are, and uh, being a witness at the same time. Great resource. You can check it out. It's absolutely free for the downloading. In fact, if you go, you can print the thing out. If you uh, copy it double-sided, it becomes a nice, um, you know, uh, opportunity to, to share with other people as well. On the web, Pacific Justice Institute. Dot org, more specifically PacificJustice.org. That's PacificJustice.org. And, and do keep us surprised, if you would, Counselor, of what's going on with Pastor Yankton. It's, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs, and we're going to be praying that the, the level heads prevail in this case. There's Brad Dakis, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Details and that resource on Bring Your Bible to School Week by going to pacificjustice.org, and you can download uh, your free copy of that uh, resource guide. 515, 6 or so, 16, 17, who's counting? Uh, you're stuck in traffic. You're a little late already. Let's see what's going on out there the road ahead from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation here at 521 on your Thursday commute home. Remember the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? It marks its 30th anniversary as a number one bestseller by um, Stephen Covey and has really served as a, as a guide for a lot of people. And, and, and if anything, if there's any takeaway from that book... Um, it's the term habit and what a habit means, how a habit is formed, and how habits or routine in your life can not only give you a sense of stability, but as my next guest will suggest, even take your journey into greatness. Michelle Steffes is a certified professional speaker, corporate trainer, group coach, and the author of a new book, called Your Journey to Greatness Through Routine, newly released, by the way, by Blessed Pen, Inc. Publishing. She is the founder and CEO of IPV Consulting. And, Michelle, great to have you with us. It's great to be here, Craig. Thanks for having me on the show. I, I saw the book, and I immediately thought of Covey's book and thought, yeah, habits, forming good yeah. habits. Boy, you know, it's easy for us to form habits, and sadly, for a lot of us, they're not always good habits. And as you're That's suggesting true. in the book, this is really an opportunity to, to rethink what you do, why you do it, and to understand that the notion of habits or a matter of routine can help create, what should we call it, sort of a, sort of a framework that can be necessary to revolutionize your, your work life, your family life, your career, even your relationships. Tell us more about this. 
it affects everything, Craig. You hit it spot on. You know, it it not only affects the, the, the influences around us and how we live and think and breathe and process and deal with challenges, but it even affects our physiology, in other words, our body chemistry, uh, which can in turn either aid us in a healthy life or destroy our health. And so toward that end, I mean, there there are, as you say, therefore, uh, not only physiological, emotional, and certainly mental benefits toward creating and developing and sticking to a healthy routine or, or healthy habits. And I guess that takes us to maybe one of the most foundational questions, and that is um, we seem to create a lot of bad habits quite easily. I, 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 if somebody, you know, pressed me for a list of mine, it would probably go on for several pages. <laughs> and yet developing of good, healthy habits is sometimes a challenge. Why is that? Why do we sometimes fail to make the distinction between what's actually good for us in routine versus what's bad for us? Well, that's a really good question. I'm glad that you asked that. We tend to be creatures of habit, no pun intended there. I mean, that's what the subject is about. But the thing is, is that when we start to develop habits, we don't even really realize we're doing it because we built it into our subconscious mind. Now, your subconscious is really all of the neural networks that you've grown from baby to today. And you're constantly wiring your brain by 400 billion actions per second, creating neural networks. And by the age of 35, you've ended up with 3,500,000 synaptic connections that are just constantly creating thoughts and mindsets. So, in other words, in layman's terms, you drove to work today, or your listeners have driven to work, or they're driving home from work right now, and they might not even remember stopping at a stop sign because you're operating out of your subconscious, all those neural networks that are in there, and you're just doing it without even thinking it. Uh, you know, so you might have a craving for coffee at 2 o'clock every day. You built that in. You may get up at 5 o'clock every day. You have built that in. So you have these inner alarm clocks that go off that remind you what it is that you're supposed to be doing at that time. But the cool thing is, is that you can rewire that. You can change it by being deliberate and choosing to adopt a new way of thinking or processing your day and even how you process challenges. Does that make sense? It, it does indeed, and I think it's an important distinction because, as you point out, there are certain routines or habits that we, we form and develop perhaps very early in life that are that are very, uh, shall we say, uh, almost reflexive. Uh, I mean, if you start the day when you get up in the morning by brushing your teeth, you probably don't need to hang a sign to remind you that you need to do that. Or, you know, if you're going to start the engine, you got to put the key in first. You've developed that as sort of almost uh, automatic reflexive. What you're suggesting is, though, that at some point, all of those routines had to be learned and therefore, if we can learn those basic, almost reflexive routines, that we can also learn to develop or acquire new habits or new routines that can be more positive, um, to give us a better sense of, of, of fluidity and direction in heading down that journey toward greatness. Absolutely. And uh, for, for those of you in, in the audience that don't understand what neuroplasticity is, uh, we are very neuroplastic. In fact, I'm, I'm thinking of a story of Cameron Mott. Actually, she was um, a story on, on NBC, July 14, 2014. Three-year-old little girl. And she was having uh, seizures 10 a day. 
And they were serious seizures where they had to fit her out the helmet because she was banging her head on the floor. Wow. And, uh, and by the age of six, they had done so many tests and had not improved her quality of life in any way and had to do what's called a hemispherectomy, which was removing the entire hemisphere of her brain. Now, you would think that that would pretty much destroy her chances of living a normal life, but the fact of it is that for four weeks they did intense therapy, and the young girl at six years old with half a brain walked out of the hospital. She learned how to speak, how to function as a normal human being, and by age nine, uh, you couldn't tell the difference between her and her peers. Wow. And, uh, you know, she, she's been broadcast on the news since that time. But what that proves is basically how neuroplastic we really are. Now, obviously, you're much more neuroplastic when you're young than when you're old, but you're always neuroplastic. So her brain had essentially rewired itself to function all on one side. And so if, if that can be done, then it's very viable that we can change our lives entirely in, in, in how we set up our day. So I always start with what I call a morning power hour, and I have a chapter on that. And the reason that the morning power hour is so important is because if you don't set up your mind and your heart to function in a way that is going to make you high-performing, then you are just going to muddle through the day in a brain fog filled with stress and anxiety. And how this often happens with people is they get up at the last possible second, rush out the door like a mad person, only to get into traffic and be stressed out in traffic. Wait a minute. Michelle, 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 I never gave you permission to install those cameras. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's how it goes, right? I mean, that's reality. Uh, That's right. (laughs) So you end up in traffic, and then you get to work, and you're stressed out at work, so you can go home and guess what? Lay down on the couch and watch the news, and then go back through it all over again and yet expect there to be a change in some way. And that's just not realistic. No, and you can see how over a period of time the sense of of frustration, disappointment, anger can begin, resentment can begin to, to grow and to fester and suddenly... People get tired of jobs. They get tired of relationships. They give up early on careers, um, not because they've necessarily made the wrong relationship toy- choice or the wrong uh, uh, career choice, but because they've not made the right intentional habits or routines that sets the day up for success. And I guess that's what you're really saying here as you look at your, your morning power hour, that from the moment you come to life in the morning the alarm goes off and you're 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 just about ready to hit your your feet to the floor the the attitude and what's going to follow next in this series of intentional uh actions or routines really plays a huge impact in many respects on how the whole day can flow doesn't it it does it does and and i can almost hear the some people saying well you know what i'm just not a morning person so i guess this isn't for me yeah and, um, you know, I would say to that, you know, we, we can be whatever it is that we want to be or whatever we choose to be. Um, if, for example, uh, someone in your family got in a, a terrible accident or ended up in a, in a health condition where you had to get up at 4 o'clock every morning and take care of that person, you would suddenly become a morning person, would you not? Absolutely. I mean, you do what you have to do, right? You do what you have to do to survive. So really it's a matter of placing such importance on yourself that you're willing to do whatever it takes to change and rewire. And then by 
setting up those routines and whether they start in the morning or not is, is not even as much the issue as what we're doing. And uh, so, so basically, if you're thinking thoughts, rehearsing the problem again and again, you know, living in unforgiveness, you know, living in hatred or self-pity or entitlement, taking offense at everything, what you're doing is you're creating giant negative neural networks. And those negative neural networks are the voices in your head that play again and again and again, and they want to destroy you. <laughs> and so the more that you set yourself up to have a routine that enables those kinds of thinking, the more that you set yourself down a bad path. Contrary-wise, yes, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Okay, so contrary-wise, if you choose then to set up a routine that almost forces you to think good things, like forgiveness, you know, kindness, gratitude, brushing the dust off, taking responsibility for your own actions, planning the day rather than letting the day plan you, you know, uh, deciding to listen to things that are going to encourage you, inspire you. You can do audiobooks, you can do podcasts, um, you can choose every day your entertainment, what you read, what music you listen to, or even exchange it out for things that are going to change the way that you think and you do that long enough, it begins to affect all of those neural networks that then unwire what is negative and, and wire new ones in that are going to be more positive. Does that make sense? It, it does indeed. And in fact, for listeners, putting this in context, if you were with us yesterday evening uh, for our uh, our series on the 60-Day Freedom Challenge with Pastor Don Scott Damon, some of this will sound very familiar when I say, take every thought captive, Right. Um, the, the the notion that how we think impacts our emotions, how we think can impact our actions, and our actions can impact our entire day. So it comes back to the idea of either, you know, I, I, I think largely most people don't intend to set themselves up for failure, but they make decisions that lead to bad habits that result in that. So... Um, why not be more intentional about the habits that you form, how you start your day, the attitude with which you carry through your day that can take you on this journey to greatness? The book is called Your Journey to Greatness Through Routine, Blessed Pen Inc. Publishing. And uh, Michelle Stifus is our guest and its author. We're going to take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. 534, look at traffic now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Best-selling author, certified professional speaker, corporate trainer, group coach, and the founder and CEO of IPV Consulting. Michelle Steffes is with us today. A look at your journey to greatness through routine. And, uh, Michelle, we've touched on the fact that the all-important start to the day um, is really key in many respects to how our, our attitude kind of takes us through the, the balance of what the day and how that day winds up. Walk us through, if you would, sort of what are some of the key things? What what does that morning power hour look like as we launch the day, even for the person who says, I'm not a morning person, but you know what? The boss says be here at 830, so I got to be. <laughs> yes, and I'd be happy to walk you through that. First of all, 
Um, the, the reason that a morning power hour is so critical is because it primes your mind, okay? So I used the example a few minutes ago of rushing out the door and, you know, dealing with stress and traffic, stress at work, stress, you know, when you get home, you flop, you don't really do anything with your brain. And so really when you have that time to reflect and to spend your morning constructively, you not only prime your mind, you reduce stress overall by a number of things, and I'm going to share some of those with you. But what we want to talk about here is the theta brain waves to begin with. Now, when you are sleeping, all right, uh, you end up down in gamma brain waves uh, or delta. And then as you come awake, you end up in theta. That's between asleep and awake. Now, in theta, that is the same as hypnotism, okay? It's the same brain state as if you were hypnotized. And so that state is when whatever you do, think, say, whatever you're processing, whatever you're listening to, is going to go straight into your subconscious and affect your neural networks the greatest. So that's why God says, seek me early and you'll find me. So basically, uh, when you wake up, if you wake up and you're grumbling and moaning and groaning and thinking about your day or about your, your um, upsets and bitterness from the day before, you're setting yourself up for, up for failure right at the get-go. So starting with gratitude and lemon water is how I start my day. But even if you just start with gratitude, um, it's a huge, huge change and shift in your physiology for the day. So as soon as my feet hit the floor, you know, I'm already thanking for everything, thanking God for everything that I have, an opportunity to, to walk, to talk, to serve, to make a difference in the world. And we all have things we can think about. And then I'm into uh, just a short meditation centering on God and, you know, and what it is that, that I believe he has made me to be and to become, rather than thinking about the troubles of life. But then I spend some time in prayer. I also highly recommend that people, even if they can only spend 10 minutes, on exercises. Now, here's the reasons for all of this. Okay, first of all, when you do these things, or especially exercising and prayer, you are going to release dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, but most of all, endorphins come when you exercise. And those endorphins are going to give you greater clarity. They're going to make you feel a lot less tired during the day. You'll have more energy. You'll have less brain fatigue, less uh, brain fog. And by the meditation and prayer, you'll have more uh, a sense of joy and, and peace and happiness. So you'll be able to focus better. And so spending, if you even spend, say, 20 minutes or 15 minutes in the morning to start with, doing something like that and taking the time to get up a little earlier every person i've ever recommended to do that notices a dramatic difference in their overall performance at the beginning and throughout the day you talk in the book also moving on here you talk in the book about the garden of your mind and uh, you know uh, sometimes the the phrase stinking thinking <laughs> comes to mind uh, give us a few examples of how that that inappropriate or or uh, misdirected thinking um, can can indeed create problems for us throughout the day. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, your your mind is like a garden, and every time you think a thought, or speak a word, or read, or study, or listen to something, you're sowing seeds into your garden, and so you get to choose what those seeds are. And so I was mentioning it earlier, but you know what kind of entertainment are you listening to? You know, what, what kind of reading material? What kind of music and, and how much? And can you exchange it out for things that are more educational and helpful? Because when we get caught up in rehearsing the problem over and over, 
because we're putting ourselves in situations like, you know, listening to the news too much and, and then thinking about politics and, and letting it get, get us down or getting caught up in the gossip chain at work too much and feeling bad or, you know, uh, thinking things that, are, that happened yesterday or last year or last month that you could have let go, you know, and you're rehearsing it again and again. All you're do is, doing is expanding those neural networks. And this is also true with things like unforgiveness, self-pity, entitlement. I mean, let's just take those two. If you're in self-pity and, and entitlement, do you know anybody that, that is in those and they're highly successful at what they're doing? Good point. I mean, I don't know anybody that is. That's right. And we're dealing with that in astronomical portions today in society as a whole. Uh, you know, people are, are constantly taking offense at everything. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're always looking for reasons to lash out, to be mad, to feel bad for themselves. And, you know, I, I'm not belittling anyone for, you know, uh, harm that's been done to them or, or situations where they truly were treated unfairly. But what I'm trying to say that is it's not doing them any, any service because what it's doing is it's releasing cortisol, which cortisol is a stress hormone, and that is what's sending them in this downward spiral that is causing all these health issues, it's causing the stinking thinking, like we've mentioned several times, and it's leading them down a bad path of all these weeds. Now, we've talked a lot, Michelle, about mental attitude, mental approach, um, changing our thinking, uh, establishing fresh new routines, uh, but I can't help to think about the, the heart connection to all of this, too, and that as much as we change our, our mental attitude, oftentimes it's sort of that, that interior motive, that, 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 that drive deep inside of you that's going to give you the energy, the, the, the stick-to-itiveness, in a sense, to want to get on this path and stay on this path. You talk in the book, which you refer to as little brain of the heart. What exactly is that? And how can that kind of uh, sense of harmony or disagreement uh, with how our brain functions be helpful or problematic to establishing all of these new routines on the way toward that journey to greatness? Well, I'm glad that you brought that up as well, Craig. The little brain of the heart is something not many people realize is uh, a, a real organ in your heart. Matter of fact, it's called the cardiac intrinsic ganglia. And uh, it has 40,000 specialized neurons in it that, that hold memories, very deep emotional memories. Um, matter of fact, uh, this uh, particular organ is so powerful that uh, Roland uh, McCready, who's a recognized global leader in emotional physiology and optimal function, also a resilience and stress management researcher, um, he said the heart generates the largest electromagnetic field in the body. In fact, this field is measured on an electrocardiogram, which is an EFT, at about 60 times greater in amplitude than brain waves wow. recorded on an electroencephalogram, which is an EEG. So an, an example in layman's terms would be, do you feel when someone is angry? In other words, if you walk into a room and somebody's mad at you, can you tell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. Absolutely. Or if you walk in, say, two people are arguing, you, you can tell they've been arguing. You can feel that. But there's tension in the room, we say, yes. There is, yes. And sometimes you hear the expression, you can cut it with a knife, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so um, if someone's bitter or resentful or hates you, you feel that too. And so uh, what HeartMath, actually HeartMath.org is where you can go to check this out. But they're located in California, okay? 
I don't know if you've heard of them, our HeartMath Institute. Um, they've done a lot of studies, and what they've found is that they can measure the magnetic energy of the heart based on emotions, and that's that, that's that feeling that you have when you get near somebody. So back to the heart and how it affects you. Your heart and your mind and that, that cardiac intrinsic ganglia are always communicating with your brain, all right? So if you just have a mental ascent that you believe something or that you're good at something or that you, you, know, you, you, you are um, able to process something, but in your heart you don't believe it, you're second-guessing yourself, you're unsure of yourself, you can't seem to get over it, you can't get past a hurt or a pain or a suffering, then you're always going to have this disagreement, and it's called cognitive dissonance. And so what that does is that's going to affect your ability to, to become the person that you really want to be and, and be able to connect with others at an effective level. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. So you have to be able to get it. If you really want to be influential, if you really want to improve your relationships, then the only way that you can do that is to create what's called cognitive consonance. It's the opposite of the dissonance. And that means that you have to get it into your heart. You have to have it in that those 40,000 specialized neurons in order to create this synchronicity, if you will, between your heart and your mind. Uh, another real quick example of that, Craig, would be, say you're a leader and you, you know, you've got a master's degree in leading and you feel you're very good at it. But in your heart, you're always wondering and questioning and doubting. Well, people are going to pick up on that, and they're going to really detect that as kind of ill confidence. How many of us uh, have perhaps uh, looked at a coworker, or or even in evaluating ourselves, and said, "Well, my heart's just not in it." It isn't that we don't have the skills, the talent, the ability, but the heart is not in it. And I think that's a very important distinction in that sense of heart harmony with the head. And, and how all of that sense of synergy, um, as Michelle points out, uh, that cognitive agreement or, or, or consonance, cognitive consonance, really makes the difference in, in sort of giving the, the final push over the hill, so to speak, of making all of these, these new habits that you're implementing um, not only stick, but have a long-term impact on your journey to greatness. The book is called Your Journey to Greatness Through Routine, newly released by Blessed Pen, Inc. Publishing, available at bookstores around the Bay Area, Amazon.com. You can also order it through Michelle's website at IPV Consulting, IPV, that's like Internet Paul Victor, IPVConsulting.com. Our thanks to... Consultant, the founder and president of IPV Consulting, and the author of the new book, How Your Journey to Greatness Through Routine. And Michelle Steffs, thanks so much for being with us. Ten away from the hour, an update now on traffic. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.